Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses worth your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Discipline, energy, beauty, and strength. Oh, it spells Debs. You did it. Congratulations. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Hey there, prom party. Welcome back. Hello. We're getting millennial gay. We're getting very millennial gay. This is some peak aughts queerness, my friends. Evidently, (laughs) this has just been a movie that's been orbiting around my periphery for the better part of 15 years. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I get it. It's it's very gay now. This is a movie that I have been wanting to do since the start of the show. Yeah. Because it just hits me right in all of the good spots and reminds me why I loved watching teen movies because this is a teen movie that doesn't have the the reputation of most teen movies like this is a movie that was not universally watched by people the way that she's all that or 10 things I hate about you were this movie was like the niche teen movie and it's because it's queer if if you know you know if you know you know (laughs) now you know fella (laughs) uh shout out to bill squire for that joke oh it's tremendous Uh, but yes we we're talking about devs this week and friends this is this is just gonna be an absolute delight so harmony you said that this movie's been orbiting you for about 15 years now what does that mean um it's the kind of thing where if you look up queer films, depending on the age of the person who made the particular list or is giving the particular recommendations this is there but it's not brought up like First draft. This is maybe like, if you you were to talk to someone who ranks these things, typically it's like maybe number 15 Mm -hmm. on the list. Like, it's a little ways down because like prestige Uh and legacy tends to outrank it. And also for what this kind of accomplishes, I think it's overshadowed by things like, but I'm a cheerleader. Oh, absolutely. 100%. So it's there. It's just not in the front. So that's kind of why I've been aware of it, but that's about the extent of this movie for me. Totally. This movie came into my life when I was in high school thanks to Blockbuster and thanks to the wonderful staff 
at the Zion Illinois blockbuster who Who, recommended this movie. They took one look at you and went, yeah, you need to watch this. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it was exactly like that, but yeah, pretty much. Of course it wasn't exactly like that. You didn't have half your head shaved yet. That's true. I was uh, a a bit more femme then, Uh, but I I was known for renting a lot of like weird queer movies, so I'm not surprised in the slightest that this was recommended to me, and I thought it was an absolute blast. I had such a fun time with it. And I felt for a very long period of time that this was one of those movies that lived in sort of a Josie and the Pussycat sort of world where I felt like no one I knew had seen it, number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, the people who had seen it didn't like it as much as I did. So I felt like I was on this island of like, oh, nobody remembers Debs. And it's been in like the last couple of years or so, likely because I'm now a little bit more in queer online film spaces. For the longest time, I was pretty much exclusively in horror spaces, but luckily I've I've crossed over a little bit. Um, You've and expanded your horizons. I've expanded my horizons and gotten really into a lot of like the queer cinema theory circles. And I have found, nope, I was not alone. It's just very similar in like the Jennifer's Body incident of a lot of people love this movie and have been loving this movie for years, but felt like they were also the only person in their life that knew this movie and loved it. And it took the internet to bring us all together. So is this one of those situations where because people didn't want to be the one to talk about it because it was sort of like hush hush that it's one of those situations where everyone was half convinced that they hallucinated this movie? I think that might be part of it um, because this is also a movie that came out during the mid 2000s. It came out in 2004 when it was kind of a hostile time to be openly queer. Mm -hmm. I mean, any time in history is a hostile time to be openly queer. But the 2000s, it was like cool to be openly cruel to to queer people. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a reason that Hilary Duff made the PSA to tell people to stop saying that's so gay, because everything was quote unquote gay during this time period. Gay! (laughs) Yes, it is. Everything is Brittany Murphy screaming gay from Drop Dead Gorgeous. And so I think that had probably something to do with it. And also, I mean, when you say, I like this movie, it's called Debs. Everyone's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like the store at the mall? Right, like the store at the mall. That is also no longer really alive. I think they might be back online. I haven't checked. But uh, RIP all our homecoming dresses. (laughs) Uh, So this is a movie that I don't think got talked about a lot because more than likely you didn't have anybody in real life to talk about it with. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was very excited to find that there is a community of Debs lovers, and I was even more surprised when a couple of months ago, it might have actually just been like a month ago, time is meaningless, but the New Beverly Cinema did a screening of Debs, and for those that don't know, the New Bev only shows things on like 32 millimeter, so... They had like Somehow. a film print of this movie. <laughs> I think it was a double feature with But I'm a Cheerleader, actually. That makes um, sense. So just like a very, very queer night of movies. And I was shocked because I think it sold out. I didn't go because, you know, pandemic. And also I'm too fat for the new Bev seat. So I really have to be wanting to go if I'm mm-hmm. going to see something there. And I, I was just kind of blown away how many people like showed up in droves to watch fucking Debs of all movies. I mean, this is the city that you could sell out a Deb screening, surefire. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> <laughs> so typically, this is where we would go into the plot synopsis from our friend Dango. But here's the thing. Debs is a movie that needs 
as many people championing it as possible. So instead of reading the Fandango synopsis or the IMDb synopsis, I'm going to read you the official synopsis from the Deb's official site. Oh, God, I hope it's like the Space Jam website and it hasn't been updated in over <laughs> like two decades. Um, it's fine. It looks like a movie website. <laughs> oh, that's not as fun. I wanted it to be a unique time capsule artifact of like the 2005 period it was released It's in. not quite like that. I'm <sighs> sorry to disappoint. Well, that's what I'm going to picture when you read this. All right, perfect. Recruited by the U.S. government for their unique ability to lie, cheat, and fight, Amy, Max, Janet, and Dominique join an underground academy of secret agents known only as Debs. These crime-fighting hotties set out to save the world and keep their lipstick perfectly applied while doing so. Now the girls must combine their skills for their most important mission, to capture the vexing vixen Lucy Diamond, the deadliest criminal the world has ever known. When Deb star player Amy falls for Lucy, chaos erupts and the Deb's loyalty is put to the test. I could have done with just, like, a pinch more alliteration in that, but otherwise, 10 out of 10. They worked very hard on that, and I'm very excited for whichever copywriter got to come up with that synopsis, because it's great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so before we dive into any sort of context, it is now time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Welcome to The Morning Announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon. Patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Over at our Patreon, we offer things like our schedule ahead of time, wonderful playlists curated by Harmony, our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies, and we are currently going through our TV homecoming series through Pen15. We offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only $1. If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend, you give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and you tag us on social media, hashtag thisendsatprom or at thisendsatprom. This announcement is for our listeners back home in Cleveland, Ohio. Mix Juneteenth, a black and queer liberation celebration, is back. Taking place on Saturday, June 18th from noon to 6 p.m. at Black Punks Press, 4701 Perkins Avenue, Cleveland, Ohio. Mixed Juneteenth will feature live music, drag performances from local talent, art, free community, and harm reduction resources, local vendors, food, and educational workshops. For those that don't know, Juneteenth is a holiday for reverence, remembrance, and celebration. Through intentional planning and organizing, Mixed Juneteenth will capture the spirit of Juneteenth holiday by providing a liberatory space that adheres to a black, queer, feminist praxis that centers abolition, community, solidarity with all oppressed communities, and anti-bigotry. Mixed Juneteenth is a space that explicitly promotes an environment of respect, civility, and liberation that is free of harassment and police presence. Mixed Juneteenth is a free event with a suggested donation of $7 and $10 for non-black individuals. Pay up. No one will be turned away for inability to pay, though. Proceeds will be used to compensate performers and offset the cost of the event. Tickets can be reserved at https colon backslash backslash linktree slash Mixed Juneteenth. And remember, Linktree is L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E backslash mix juneteenth 
Alrighty, Harmony. What kind of context do you have to set the stage for Debs? I'm going to be real with you. I was racking my brain trying to put together the puzzle pieces to make this make sense. Okay. Um... <laughs> uh, so so I looked at both queer cinema as well as teen cinema around this time to try to get a picture of what we're what we're looking at here. Mm-hmm. Teen cinema is pretty cut and dry. It's pretty easy to understand. Um, ever since the release of the Lizzie McGuire movie, Disney and like Disney queens, mm-hmm. those have dominated teen releases mm-hmm. around this time. Like you get your occasional like boy sex comedy. Um, Harry Potter is releasing movies, obviously. But, like, that's primarily what your, like, adolescent and teen-based stuff is going to be like. Okay. Um, so, so just a quick glance at, like, the three-year window Debs is coming out in because it was made during 2003, released in 2004 for festival circuits, and got an official release in 2005. Right. So we're kind of all over the place here. Yes. And that's not even accounting for the short film. Correct. In that time, you had Anne Hathaway in Princess Diaries 2 and Ella Enchanted. Love both of them. You had Hilary Duff in A Cinderella Story, Lizzie McGuire the Movie, Raise Your Voice, and the Don't Say Gay commercials. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm so glad you included that. Thank of you course, for that. Of course, had to. And uh, Lindsay Lohan is in Freaky Friday, Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, Herbie Fully Loaded, and what becomes the era-defining teen film of the aughts, Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. in 2005, and that's when everything changes. Yes. So that's primarily what you're looking at like there's a few more edgy things or or more grown-up things like saved uh brick mm-hmm. wrist cutters which we just did or even like garden state where it's like these appeal to teens but they're not necessarily for teens they're mm-hmm. they're, they're coming of age movies but for a little bit of an older age than say disney films yeah we're starting to get into the weird era of the quote-unquote mature teen movie which is also something that like early 20-somethings are really into. These 2000 hipster movies, yes. as uh, Google refers to them as. Correct. So that that all is kind of where Debs fits. But Debs also isn't that. The, the synopsis you read called them like teenage hotties. Mm-hmm. And all of their costumes, like the uniforms for what I assume is like an academy, because colleges don't have uniforms typically. They look like Leg Avenue outfits. They really do. And... Because it's a queer film, it's inherently PG-13 off the bat. Like, that's just, like, fundamentally how it's going to work. So looking at, like, queer cinema, when this movie comes out doesn't make any sense. And maybe you can help me wrap my brain around this a little bit. So in the early 90s, we have new queer cinema. Yes, that's kind of when it explodes. Yes, and that is obviously when you have a number of underground films that are very successful and show queer culture in the wake of the Reagan administration as well as the AIDS epidemic. And it's, it's great. It's very, very mm-hmm. important. By the mid-90s, Hollywood goes, oh, fuck, we can make gay films. And mm-hmm. you get blockbuster-esque queer films like The Birdcage, Tu Wong Fu, several others. Mm-hmm. Come the end of the 90s, like, we, we talked about this last year for June. Like, but I'm a cheerleader. We were hopeful. Mm-hmm. It was an optimistic world. Mm-hmm. And then, like... I guess the 2000s happen, and we get Bush, and we yeah. get 9-11, yeah. and if you look up queer films from the 2000s, I don't recognize, like, 90% of these movies, because they went, like, super indie, and they're not for teens, and I don't know how most people were expected to find queer cinema around this time. Like, even, like, looking at something like Brokeback Mountain that came out also in 2005, 
I could try to wrap my head around it being like, oh, well, that was extremely successful. They'll scoop up any queer film that they can to try to capitalize on the success of that. But Brokeback Mountain came out after Debs. So why is Debs getting a theatrical release? (laughs) So the 2000s queer cinema, I'm really glad that you pointed it out and you sort of answered your own question in terms of it. It's Bush's fault. Yes, I was just... Could you you build off of that? Yes, I can. So because of what was going on in the political landscape and obviously 9-11 did not help because post 9-11, I think a lot of people forget this and for our younger listeners who did not live through this... It is kind of impossible to explain how intense the cultural shift was with, like, nationalism and this, like, machismo sort of appreciation, Mm -hmm. this very specific brand of Americana that was so heavily pushed post-9-11. Anything that fell outside of the realm of, I'm a strong American and I'm going to kick some of that terrorist ass was seen as bad and anti-American. Like, it wasn't just like, oh, you're too femme or you're oh, too whatever. That means bad. It was like, you're un-American. So a lot of things that were viewed as, like, provocative or kind of bucking a lot of, like, social norms got pushed back underground. Studios were not funding these types of movies anymore. They weren't giving money to queer people because they were afraid there was not going to be a return on investment. So that's why we started getting so many of these like micro-budget indie, 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 indie queer films in the 2000s. Yeah, like we touched on a lot of this very briefly when we did our episode on camp last month. But it's weird to even contextualize that like, We had a 12-month fad of men who were gay but weren't gay as metrosexuals. Mm -hmm. That's 2003, baby. Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Yeah, it's so bizarre that that that's the world this exists where it's like, oh, yes, men who actually groom themselves Mm -hmm. are seen as, like, mockable and it's it's a Mm -hmm. fad because we have to come up with terms so that they're not emasculated for just taking care of themselves and dressing nice. Yeah, and that's an incredible point to make. Like, that is how weird culture was that men who knew how to wipe their own ass were viewed as queer or metrosexual. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, well, is Ricky Martin gay or is it just because he's foreign? I mean, well, he's gay. He was gay, but there was a, there's a fair argument that, I don't know, they wear button-up shirts instead of t-shirts. They look slightly nicer. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, could they be gay compared to, like, lazy American men in the 2000s? There's an argument there. Yeah, that's definitely a thing that existed. And again, like, it's a really hard time to express to people who weren't around to witness it because it sounds like you're making it up. Like, it doesn't sound real because it's so counterintuitive. Like, what do you mean? Like, it was seen as passe to admit that you get the dirt out from under your fingernails. And it's like, yeah, but it was. Mm -hmm. Like, dudes were mocked if they did stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Basic hygiene was viewed as something that was gay. And that's why we have so many TikToks and so many vines about dudes that don't wipe their ass in the shower or people who are like, I don't have to clean my legs. I just let the water go down and the the soapy water from my body gets it. And it's like, that's not how you bathe yourself. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. Um, So that is the time period in which this movie is coming out. And 
Angela Robinson, who wrote, directed this movie, also did the Deb short film that came out in 2003, and it was, you know, too, too high acclaim. People loved the short film. It did really well in a lot of queer festivals, and it did constitute them making a future version of it, which I think is fantastic. But something else that's missing from this context is this movie is coming out at the tail end of two things. One, the Spy Kids trilogy, mm-hmm. and two... Totally Spies. Oh, yeah. No, we are in a post-Totally Spies (laughs) world. We are in a post-Totally Spies world. We are in a post-Austin Powers world. For whatever reason, the late 90s, early 2000s, we got real into spy movies again. And Debs is one of those movies. And it's a fun way to kind of poke fun at a lot of these spy movies while hiding it within the realm of, like, a teen romance story. But it's also... It's a spy story. James Bond falls in love with... There's a reason they're called Bond girls. Like, Mm -hmm. there's always some sort of either romance or sexual tension that exists. And this movie put that in there and did it with women. Mm -hmm. And that is really, really cool to me. I agree. And so so here's a curious case that is really interesting to talk about before we move on to the movie proper, is that despite having lived through this era... I have so little understanding of, like, teen girl culture from, Mm -hmm. like, the early to mid-2000s. And there's probably a lot of reasons for that. Like, I understand homophobia from this time very well. Correct. Quite quite intimately. And you're seeing maybe people who were 14, 15 years old who are now 15 years later. And all of it makes sense that they're grown-ass adults and it never went away. And Mm -hmm. that makes sense for where we are now. I, I get that. I I came from that world. I was on the butt end of all of that stuff. I get it. Mm -hmm. However, I don't understand, like, the queer appeal of everything culturally that exists around this time. Like, I kind of get totally spies. But why was it that you have people, say, our age, as an Mm -hmm. example, who who were drawn to, like, Disney teen queens Mm -hmm. or, you know, any of the teen dramas that existed that are parodied by Amanda Bynes on Moody's Point that I thought were so boring that I would change the channel during those skits. Oh, God. Her Dawson's Creek parodies, though, as Moody's Point are so spot on. They're hilarious. (laughs) I'll take your word for it. I hated them because I didn't get it. Uh Uh-huh. Can you explain this world to me? Because despite having lived sort of through it, it's, it's beyond me. Right. So something to keep in mind here is that you did not consume a lot of the media that was targeted towards teens of this era. No, I watched cartoons and stuff for old men. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Makes a lot of sense for who I ended up as. So what ended up happening in sort of a post 90210, post Party of Five specifically, I think those are the the two like big beacons we have to look to from the 90s. There was a wave of teen-oriented cinema. Um, In this early 2000s era, kind of what we're playing with, like Gossip Girls, the real, real big one. Obviously, Buffy is a big one. The OC is a big one. Um, One Tree Hill. Like I could just laundry list, but I'm not going to waste our time doing that. I've never watched a single episode of all of those sans (laughs) Buffy. Right. So what happened is suddenly there was media that was taking the lives of of teenagers and the problems we were having seriously and not making fun of them. They weren't making light of the situation. They were addressing the fact that adolescents do have a difficult time, that coming of age 
is not always Sunshines and Roses. It's not always a John Hughes movie. Sometimes it's really shitty. You look at something like Party 5 and it's like, sometimes you don't have parents and like that makes things really fucking complicated. Mm-hmm. Or you look at things like 90210 and you have things like pregnancy scares. You have having sex for the first time. Like a lot of these things that were considered quote unquote taboo and were never talked about in most sitcoms of yesteryear were suddenly in front and center. So teens were feeling seen for the very, very first time. Mm -hmm. In terms of like why queer people were so drawn to a lot of these stories, there is obviously the camp nature. Something like Lizzie McGuire is super campy and people are going to be really, really into it. But because you also had characters who were frequently relegated to the margins were suddenly center stage. We were having shows like That's So Raven, which is the show that broke the Disney model of like cancel everything after 65 episodes. Like That's So Raven is what broke the mold. And it was because people were like, holy shit, the star of this show is a black woman. And that's incredible. She's the one who gets to be the star. She's the one that everybody wants to be and everyone looks up to. And that goes to a point we talk about on the show all the time, that if you are marginalized in one area, it's a lot like being able to speak a language out other than English in that, like, sure, you may not understand someone else's language, but because you are bilingual, you can pick up on little linguistic cues and you can understand someone else's language a little bit easier than if you only spoke English. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of, I think, what started happening with queer people is suddenly there were all of these, like, women-fronted shows. There were shows that had black leads. There were shows that had Latina leads. There were a lot of shows that were putting people in positions of uh, worthy of praise, I guess. Okay. And while queer people, sometimes we would get a little, a little crumb here and there. Um, we still struggle with that even today because look at the fucking world around us and how they treat tr- queer representation. Mm-hmm. They're trying to outlaw us every fucking day. Um, this gave us a window to kind of cling to it very similarly to the same way that like a lot of queer people resonate with like final girls in slasher movies because it's like I know what it feels like to have the entire world want me dead so yeah I'm gonna gravitate towards somebody like Laurie Strode who's gonna keep fighting and who's gonna survive it that makes me feel motivated Mm -hmm. and a lot of that was happening where it's like oh I'm seeing this person who's in a high school show who's dealing with really serious issues I'm also in high school I'm also dealing with serious issues I feel seen by this, even if it's not a one-to-one comparison. Queer people are really, really good at headcanoning themselves into properties because we've always had to. Okay. See, that all makes sense then. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the world that we're living in, which is why something like Debs is so important because we don't have to headcanon ourselves into it. It's textual. It's mm-hmm. part of the story. It is the heart of the story. The story of Debs cannot be told without queerness. Oh, and it's that a different is an, story without it. Yeah. And that's incredible to me. Oh, absolutely. Your scheduled meet, 20 hundred hours. Where'd you find her? Zeta tipped us. Said she's available. She's in from Prague, relocating stateside. Assassin? Check. Where's the meet? Les Deux Amours. Trendy, yet discreet. Cancel it. Why? It's all set up. I don't do blind dates. Yeah, well, it's not a blind date if you know what they look like, okay? Just tell her I'm not coming. Okay, say I came down with something. Come on, Lucy, it's been two years. You have to get out there. Out there? I went out with the drummer, the girl from the band that talked really loud. No, you didn't go out with her. We all went out together. And then you lied and said you had food poisoning and you went home early. 
Let's dive into Debs and let's start talking about our, our main characters. The, the main one that we're really focusing on in this is Amy. So, Harmony, how do you feel about Sarah Foster as Amy? Uh, she seems very confused about why she's there. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, Amy is allegedly, like, the best student they've ever had. She scored a perfect score on, like, the SAT-esque thing that made her qualified to be a part of Debs. Mm-hmm. Um, no one exactly knows what that means, but theoretically, she is the perfect agent. I mean, it means that she's the best liar, which is really we funny to me. find that out later. Right, we find that out later, but it's really funny to me because she spends the entire movie being really bad at lying. <laughs> Maybe it's because she was lying to herself. Okay, fair. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> Good point. But, um, yeah, I mean, she doesn't have any particular skills or specialties like everyone else in her unit that we see. Mm-hmm. So I think she's like the girl next door. She's the mm-hmm. every girl. She's the relatable one. Absolutely. Amy is set up to be such a relatable girl. Um, she has a bit more personality than, say, you know, our, our easy point to relatable girl shell of Bella Swan in Twilight. Oh, where she's an empty shell? Yes. Yeah. Amy's got a bit more going on, but she's not so distinctive that people who need to see themselves in this movie cannot, in, like, inject themselves into her life mm-hmm. and then, you know, have that little wish fulfillment. I mean, she's likable, but she's honestly kind of plain. You know, and here's the thing. A lot of people hear the description of plain and think that that is inherently a bad thing, and it's not. That's a neutral descriptor. Well, yeah, absolutely. Most most things should be neutral. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of, like, how you say it. Like, I don't know, maybe she likes pumpkin spice and scented candles. That's fine. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. We've right. just attached it to negative things. Well, yeah, because misogyny exists and anything that's very popular with women gets shit on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. I think that in a in a later year, we may describe Amy as basic. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. So Amy is kind of like our, our main person that we're following throughout this, but she does have her, her core team of Debs. And mind you, the Debs has an entire academy. We're just specifically looking at this group of girls who are kind of like the elite Debs because Amy's a part of it and she's the one who had the perfect score. So the next one I want to talk about is Devin Aoki, who plays Dominique. Uh, she is the French one. Um, she smokes and she fucks. She smokes and she fucks. It's real easy. She uh, uh, doesn't really have to seem to like anyone else. <laughs> yeah, she's great. Um, I love the running gag that she every time she has to be awoken up for a mission, there's a different guy in her bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they never like shit on her for it is no. the thing. Like they address it where there's like, like no men in the house. We're like no men in the house. Why are you breaking rules? But they don't like slut shame her about it. They're just like, well, whatever. This is who Dominique is. So I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Jill Ritchie as Janet. And Janet is our, like, our little flighty, flighty little bumblebee. She's she's the aloof friend, yes. She's a little high-strung, I like to think. She kind of follows Amy around like a little sister type. Very much so. And Jill Ritchie, who plays her, um, important fun fact, she is Kid Rock's sister. Oh, bleh. <laughs> I know. It's it's a very odd thing. Who's um, a what's a ball what's a ball? 
because uh, in case anyone has ever believed for a second in their life that Kid Rock is actually like this good old boy who pulled himself up by his bootstraps and became a rock star, like, no, he comes from a fuckload of money. Both of them do. Straight out of Compton. He's straight out the trailer, BJ. Are you calling Kid Rock a liar? <laughs> I'm 1000% calling him a liar, liar, pants on fire. Ain't nobody gonna tell me how to live. Oh, I sure as shit will, you fraud. Oh my god. Uh, if anybody's curious, that it's one of the most hilariously cringy right-wing things ever is that fucking nobody gonna tell me how to live video by Kid Rock, but like, don't give him the clicks, but just take my word for it. He rides a giant middle finger into space and he thinks he's so cool. Yeah, it's legitimately one of the most pathetic things I've ever seen in my life. So if you're gonna watch it on YouTube, uh, log out first off, because you don't want to fuck your algorithm forever. Oh, I did. Yeah, I'm <laughs> aware it was a fun two months it was not fun at all it was terrible it was like hey you want to hear this song by the guy from stained and it's like no i don't want any of this I'm the only one. Oh, oh, God, it's God. also so cringy and hilarious it's so bad and then our ah. final our final deb in, in this core group is megan good as max i love megan good and in an alternate universe would love to see a deb's movie where she is the star mm-hmm. because she is so damn compelling like she's got guns she means business she has the biggest gun oh my god she looks like one of those girls that would punch you in the face and you would thank them for the honor well she also like wears boots with her outfit right yes she's so cool like she's unbelievably cool and Megan Good is also somebody who has done a lot of acting and she loves this role you will frequently see people take pictures with her at conventions or at you know just random movie things being like, oh my God, it's Max from Debs. And she loves it, Aww. which just really brings me so much joy. I, I love that because I think she's the coolest. So. She's the yeah. coolest. Like yeah. she, she, it's so weird that Amy is the quote unquote ultimate Deb because it feels like Max is. But then at the same time, it's kind of like, oh, you know, Max doesn't want to live in her shadow. So she's trying a little bit harder because she has more to prove. I get that. I understand There's it. a lot of reasons for that. Yeah. I, I think maybe Max wants it too bad. And then that makes her flawed. Okay. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because she has she has a weakness, then you know. Mm-hmm. So she, she she's blinded. Yes. <laughs> um. So then, outside of our Debs, we obviously have our love interest. We have Lucy Diamond, played by the eyebrow queen Jordana Brewster. She's so fantastic. I she, love Jordana Brewster. <laughs> she is also just looking at her in this role. Um. First of all, I don't have to suspend any disbelief that Lucy Diamonds is gay. Because mm-hmm. she looks like a lesbian. She looks like the lesbian that every single girl on the campus who's never been with a girl is going to sell their soul to be with. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, even though Jordana Brewster, tragically not gay. I know, but Lucy Diamonds is Lucy very Diamond, gay. Yes. And she does not have to push me very hard to sell me on that. <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right about that. And what's so wild to think about is that Jordana Brewster did this movie after The Fast and the Furious. What? Yeah. I've never seen any of those movies either because, hey, I don't watch the OC or Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> okay, so to keep you up to speed, Jordana Brewster is like the girl in Fast and the Furious The movies. girl? Is there one of one? the girls. Like, there's Michelle like, Rodriguez is there eventually, yeah, right? Yeah, there's a handful of them. Jordana Brewster is like the girl. She's okay. been there since the beginning gotcha. and... To think that she did that movie and then was like, fuck it, I'm going to do Debs. Great. Love that for her. Yeah. She got range. (laughs) She does have range. So, okay. Yes. Let's go. Let's go to these other kind of side characters that we have that are really exciting. So the first one is Scud, 
played by Jimmy Simpson. Uh, most of you know Jimmy Simpson from his work on It's Always Sunny. Uh-huh. Maybe you're one of the weirdos like me who also appreciates his work in the video game horror movie Stay Alive. I love Stay Alive. That concept deserves better. I agree. Um, he's also in Loser. He's also former husband of Melanie Linsky. What a fucking honor. Mm-hmm. Um, he's such a dirtbag and loser. Oh, he's such a dirtbag and loser. Also, shout out to Loser, forever favorite of mine. Yeah. G- great rediscovery on the Sadie Hawkins dance of the podcast and I will continue <laughs> to champion it till the day I die. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean like side tangent, um I weirdly am obsessed with the relationship that Melanie Linsky and Jimmy Simpson still have. Like they hype each other up so frequently like Aww. it was such an honor to be married to this person. I think they're so brilliant and they're constantly to this day like still talking about how talented and wonderful the other Aww. is even though they've both like are married and have like kids with other people and they're just just really it's like so nice to see such a healthy like That's separation wholesome. it's so wholesome yeah, i love that so like good on you jimmy simpson love you very much for that yeah scud's great he ends up getting with like janet mm-hmm. so, he gets with so, janet so we're getting with multiple fraternizing with the enemies yes <laughs> it's very very sweet um another great cameo role we have jessica caulfield who plays ninochka um a russian assassin who is supposed to be dangerous Mm -hmm. and she's only there for about a cup of coffee but jessica caulfield is a character actress that got a little bit of a boom in the 2000s and i wish it would come back um most of you probably know her as tori in white chicks um or Mm margot in legally blonde um if you don't know the side characters names in legally blonde she's the one who shows up to court and cheers for her and goes go Elle mm-hmm. um, she's great I she's love a great her. friend character oh, uh, she's fantastic I love the side characters in White Chicks the the Wayans brothers are the least funny thing in their own movie yeah for real <laughs> all of the women are like kind of going circles around them yeah uh, we have a, a casting decision that has only gotten better with age uh, Miss Petrie played by Holland Taylor Mm-hmm. Um, another legally blonde person. She's the professor in in Legally Blonde, um, but she's a queer icon in her own right as the much older partner of Sarah Paulson. So this is an exciting casting choice. It's like, oh look at you! Shout out to the old lezzies. Love this. <laughs> um, so I love that she's there and she's playing. You know, pretty much the role she plays in any teen movie that she's in. Okay, just kind of like strong authority figure who's like kind of scary but also very hot. Because um, yeah. Helen Taylor can do that. And then yes, <laughs> their version of Bosley, which is Mr. Phipps, is fucking Michael Clark Duncan. Rest his soul. I love Michael Clark Duncan. Every movie is better with Michael Clark Duncan in it. Uh, he 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 brings so much life to every film. Yeah, uh, he even makes the slam and salmon funny while he's on screen. <laughs> yeah, Michael Clark Duncan is incredible, and we lost him way too soon, and I'm never going to be over it. Mm-hmm. And it was—it's it, just such a delight to see him in this movie, especially because this is also post Green Mile. <laughs> like, yeah, so that is also fantastic. Going from Green Mile to Debs. Yeah, I love that. I love that for him. I love that so many people who are quote unquote established actors. We're like, yeah, I absolutely want to be in this like weird queer spy comedy. Yeah, obviously, like this is post Green Mile. More importantly, it's post Whole Nine Yards, <laughs> where movie... he's on the wrong side of the law. That movie is so much better than it has any right being. I fucking love the Whole Nine Yards. <laughs> So, like, we have this really, really great cast, and we have a lot of people that are committed to delivering this material without mocking it and without belittling it. 
Yeah, they're here to have fun. Yeah. But they take it seriously. And that's how you have camp. Yes, exactly. And that is why this movie, I think, works so well. And because this movie is written by Angela Johnson, an openly queer person, it also never feels forced or weird or like tongue-in-cheek with its queerness like it just is queer mm-hmm. and like there are some aspects of this movie that like obviously haven't aged the best in terms of like casual language usage but that's yeah. any movie from the 2000s we know that mm-hmm. it's gonna be a thing i'm not gonna judge a movie too harshly for that it's accurate teen lingo exactly and it's embarrassing and we should all be ashamed of it but uh let's not pretend that that's not what was acceptable back then Mm -hmm. but when it comes to this movie and its queerness it is so just matter of fact it's not a big deal and as much as this is partially a coming out movie for amy because it's the first time she's ever been with a woman it's not a coming out story Mm -hmm. and i find that to be very interesting in the way that this is a first-time queer experience, but not a coming-out story. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Honestly, I didn't really think about it, but I think that's one reason I find this refreshing, because, I don't know, maybe I'm just too old at this point, but I find coming-out stories to be pretty played out and pretty exhausting, Mm -hmm. versus this, where it just feels more organic. Mm -hmm. It's just... Hey, I fell for this girl. There's there's some magnetic charisma to mm-hmm. Lucy Diamonds that makes me go, I I can't I can't think about anyone else. I'm mm-hmm. drawn to you. Mm-hmm. And that is so much more pure than a coming out story to me because there's just this more genuineness to the love in that sense. Like obviously you could make an argument that there's infatuation because she's a super spy and it's like, ooh, danger and all these mm-hmm. other little elements. But that's not how it feels. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with you completely. And I think what makes it different is that for the most part, obviously there are exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, coming out stories or somebody having their first realization of being in love with someone that is not of the quote unquote opposite gender is usually traumatic. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of fear involved in that. And there's a lot of anxiety And while those fears and anxieties exist in this movie, it is so much less about Amy being with Lucy Diamond, a woman. It is about Amy, a Deb, being with Lucy Diamond, a supervillain. That is where the anxiety is of like, oh my God, I am literally sleeping with the enemy. Mm -hmm. And that is so much more authentic to me, not to say that like obviously coming out stories mean you're sleeping with the enemy. That's not what I'm implying by any stretch of the imagination. No, sleeping with straight people sleeping with the enemy. (laughs) But it allows their relationship to exist as just their relationship. Like the queerness, is not the source of any sort of drama. The issue is their their status in life as somebody who is a crime fighter and somebody who commits crimes. Mm-hmm. Like that to me is really interesting and it allows this queerness to exist in a lot more euphoric state. And there's a lot of euphoria in this movie between the two of them. Like they finally have felt like what they've been looking for. Lucy's been out. When we meet Ninochka, like they assume that it's going to be like, oh my gosh, this melding of these two criminal masterminds. And it's not, it's a blind date. Mm -hmm. And it's a blind date that ends poorly and ends in gunfire, but like Lucy didn't actually do it. And Lucy also has this like horrible reputation as being this like ruthless, relentless criminal. And she tells Amy like, yeah, that's not true. Like the people who I've interacted with that died, like it was not because I killed them. There were like extenuating circumstances that led to this, but people like to pin it on me because then it makes me sound more dangerous. And 
I also feel in a weird way like that is a really good queer metaphor because it kind of plays into like the predatory lesbian trope of people believing that lesbians are like inherently dangerous or like Mm -hmm. that they're inherently going to like seduce you and ruin your life. And there's all these like terrible stereotypes that are associated with the, with, with lesbians in general. Oh, particularly when it comes to instances of trying to turn the straight girl. 100%. Yes. And for Lucy to be like, yeah, no, that's not my bag. And that's not what I do is kind of reclaiming those tropes and like acknowledging them and stepping on them without it feeling like, the movie is being heavy-handed about it. Mm-hmm. So I really, really like that. I think that that's, I think that's delightful. I mean, there are moments where Janet says like kind of questionable, semi-homophobic things, but I think that goes into her naivety. Um, I don't think that she's intentionally trying to be cruel. Um, I think she just doesn't know any better. Yeah, um, I, would, I would say that. So that's part of it. But even when they find out what's going on, like the other Debs find out, they're not mad at her for having a girlfriend. They're mad at her because she's a criminal. Yeah. Which I feel like, given the line of work they're in, fair. Um, <laughs> I understand. We all fall for a bad girl at some point. And we all do. Everybody does at some point. Yeah. And if you don't, congratulations. Give it time. <laughs> What if, like, there's a big reveal where it's like, I've secretly been a criminal mastermind this whole time. It's just been a very long con. I'm a bad girl. Sure. Sounds hot. (laughs) Okay, here's the thing. Yeah. I am really not up for dying today. Me neither. So, I was thinking that, uh, why don't you put your gun down? Why don't you put your gun down? You're the criminal and I'm the cop, so... I think I'm technically more trustworthy. Except for I was totally minding my own business on some stupid blind date when you guys decided to rain shit all over me. Wait. You were on a blind date? Whatever. With that Russian girl? What? Nothing. I just, I didn't know you were a... Why would you know? So, I mean, there's a lot of secretive stuff that goes around as their relationship blossoms. And again, it's it's due to the fact that, you know, it's a crime fighter and a criminal. Secretive stuff like a kidnapping? A staged kidnapping? Yeah, there's a staged kidnapping. That is correct. That almost gets her friends murdered? Yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> We're dealing with super spy stuff, okay? Danger's yeah. always a possibility. They almost get crushed by an Indiana Jones trap. The Indiana Jones trap actually, to me, feels like a, a low-budget version of the Resident Evil traps from the first Paul W.S. Anderson movie. Yeah, that's, that also makes sense. It's very much got that energy because we were really into, like, bluish white walls. The chrome. Yeah, the chrome. Oh, my gosh, the chrome. We loved chrome <laughs> in the 2000s. It, it was very easy to make with CGI. That's why the the thing in Terminator 2 looks like that. Yeah, absolutely. And so as their relationship is blossoming, we have... On Lucy's side, we have Scud, and on the Deb side, we have Janet, who know what's going on and are kind of sworn to secrecy and are doing everything in their power to, like, protect them. Mm-hmm. But, of course, the the magic thing of all teen movies, it all falls apart because of a lack of communication, because Amy is not checking her messages as mm-hmm. Janet is trying to warn her, like, hey, the, the jig is up. They're coming for you. We're, we're, we're about to raid the hideout. Mm-hmm. And they get busted. Put and, your pants on. Yeah, put your pants on. They get busted uh, mid mid intimacy. Mid coitus. I wasn't gonna call it coitus, but yes. Mid relations. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> relations is the worst. Like I would much rather have like old school dating game like making whoopee than <laughs> relations. It's a shame they didn't even get to conclude. 
<laughs> I'm just going to make this as unsexy as possible. <laughs> what, but the thing, okay, so I'm going on a side tangent and I don't care. Why is it that descriptors of sex that are supposed to be like wholesome or non-offensive are way creepier and weird? I don't know. Like, it just feels cold and unpleasant and it feels like you're being talked to by your parent. That might be it. Yeah, I, think, I, I think that might be it. Because either you get some yummy, 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 I got love in my tummy, birds and bees kind of nonsense, Ugh. or they're like, here's a book. We're going to show you a side profile of your entire innards and talk to you about the prostate and the vulva. <laughs> and it just feels clinical and unpleasant. There is a, a horror movie from around this time period, actually, called Monster Man that I love dearly. It is so bad. <laughs> like, it is not a good movie. It is a ridiculously offensive, just like absolute train wreck of a movie, but I love it. And at one point, this guy who's supposed to be like a weird sex obsessed person is like, did you do it? Did you make the beast with two backs? And he like starts grinding. And that's what I think of every single time somebody makes like a weird euphemism for sex. I just think of that dude with a shitty goatee saying beast with two backs. Yeah. <laughs> People are here for something wholesome. And here we are talking about <laughs> fucking plunged into honey pots. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's okay. Getting us back on track. I'm sorry for the tangent. I'm, I'm, full, I'm full of beans today. It's mostly my fault it's okay <laughs> yeah so like they got raided they got caught and it sort of puts the two of them against one another in a, in a very weird way where it's like amy you kind of have to choose and we learn throughout the conversations with her and lucy that she doesn't really want to be a deb because she's like i'm apparently really good at this but i don't know what i'm good at mm -hmm. uh, i want to go to art school mm -hmm. which if that's not like the 2000s like teen plot storyline of of the decade then i don't know what is um <laughs> just like i don't want to do with this i want to do something artistic and and soft and sweet um but this raid lets them know like okay this is serious like we really can't be doing this like it's dangerous for both of us and lucy decides that you know what if i can't be with amy because she's a deb then like maybe i should not be a criminal and i'm gonna start giving back all the stuff i've stolen and i'm gonna make amends and be a better person. Mm -hmm. And it's a it's a weird moment because I, I have two thoughts about it. Like one, I don't want anyone to change who they are for for another person. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. But this is not a matter of like, oh hi, I'm Sandy from Greece and I'm giving up everything about myself to like change my image, change who I am, change everything about myself to appease somebody else and be worthy of their love. Lucy's just like I don't need to be a criminal. Like it's more of a career change. It's more of a career change. Than like, like a personal change. Yeah, it's a career change. And like part of why she does criminal acts because she's like, I'm really good at it. Like that's mm -hmm. why I do it. It's because I'm good it's at easy. it. Easy. And it's easy. And she's like, but I would rather be with you in this relationship. Like that is more important to me than doing something that is easy. Mm -hmm. That's a different kind of change, in my opinion. Like, that is a healthy change that mm -hmm. someone makes for themselves. Because say Amy was like, yeah, that's cool, but, like, I still don't want to be with you. Or, yeah, that's cool, but we still can't be together. Like, I Lucy's still going to give up her life of crime. Like, mm -hmm. she has learned that she can be a better person and she doesn't have to be a criminal. That's cute and lovely, whatever. Yeah, and quite honestly, some of my favorite scenes in this whole movie are the montages like this. Yeah, this they're movie, so nice. This movie has a great soundtrack, like a kind of eclectic and wonderful soundtrack, but like it's the montages... It's very random. <laughs> yeah, like the montages are wonderful. Like that montage of them falling in love set to erasure is 
great. I love it. Do you love it because it's great or do you love it because it uses a little respect from Erasure, which is one of your favorite songs? Uh, if it was the weedest version, then it would be because of the song, but <laughs> it's not. So I'd say both. <laughs> um, so something else that I think is absolutely vital to talk about, and I know it's difficult because you've not seen a single second of it, but... Debs walked so Killing Eve could run, and we don't talk about it enough. Mm. Because if you have not seen Killing Eve, um, I'm sure that all of our queer listeners, um, especially of like the bi and lesbian lady variety, are probably screaming that I made this comment right now. But Killing Eve is about somebody who is supposed to be tracking a supervillain, essentially, and the two of them meet, and they are so fascinated and compelled by each other that it becomes this will they, won't they, this is dangerous, but we can't, but we must, but we can't, for four seasons, and then a really lackluster ending. Um, but that's kind of what we're getting out of Debs, and it's really interesting to me that it's that these parallels exist, and we don't talk about them enough, and part of me thinks it's because, again, not enough people talk about Debs to begin with, but uh, yeah, I am strictly on the ground of like Debs walked so Killing Eve could run. Uh, Lucy Diamond and Villanelle, like I would say Villanelle is a more compelling villain, but to be fair, she gets a lot more time on screen to develop that character. Um, I should hope so after four seasons. Right. <laughs> but it is really, really compelling. And it's, I, th- I think there's like a little thing in the back of my brain, like why I am so drawn to something like Killing Eve outside of the fact that Jodie Comer and Sandra Oh are just unbelievable. I think it like tickles that little bit of like Debs in the back of my head where it's like, hey, remember that thing you were really into when you were 15? What about that? But for adults. Ooh, what if it's a prestige show? Ooh, what if it's prestige? What if it's oh. dangerous? What if more people die? Ooh. Mm. No <laughs> um, one dies. Hey, look at this. A queer movie where no one dies. Fucking right. Congrats, Debs. <laughs> oh my God, give it a medal. <laughs> you should do what you're good at. No, you should do what you love. I am doing what I love. Why are you psychoanalyzing? I'm not psychoanalyzing you. I mean, just because I'm not some badass master criminal doesn't mean that what I do is not important. I didn't say it wasn't important. I mean, do you love a life of crime? Yeah, I do. So you get a kick out of taking money from hardworking, honest people. What is your problem? I just, I don't think you should be judging me. I'm not judging you. I'm not the one that got picked out of a gajillion people to be Miss Super Duper Crime Fight and Goody Two Shoes. I've never been perfect at anything. I didn't even want to be a criminal. I wanted to be a pirate. Pirates are criminals. Oh. Oops. So there is an article that I wanted to reference from Go Magazine that was titled Queer Millennial Girl Reviews Lesbian Adventure Film Debs. Uh, It's from 2018, and it was written by somebody who missed the movie when it came out and watched it as an adult. You know, what we do on the show. Yeah. And something that I found really interesting that this writer pointed out is why this film resonated with them so deeply all these years later. And it says, as the love story advances between Lucy and Amy during a bank robbery termed capture of Amy, it just feels like any old cheesy teen film. And I love that. Giving young queer girls representation in every genre of film is so important. We deserve more than depressing and heartbreaking lesbian films, which are the current majority. And 
that's not like a shocking statement by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. But what I don't understand is why people are so quick to just like fall over themselves to promote movies like Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I know Harmony hates that movie. I like it. I understand. Hate is a word. (laughs) I would say that it is a supreme not-for-me movie. Okay. Hate implies other things. That's true. Okay. That movie is just not going to strike any of your boxes. It is tailor-made to not fit me. Correct. (laughs) But people will fall on their sword to talk about what a brilliant, incredible, lovely, moving film it is. And it is all of those things. But I don't understand why that energy isn't also given to movies like Deb's where it's fun and it's funny and it's silly and it's joyful. Like this movie is so joyful. When Amy and Lucy meet for the first time, they're in a punk bar and they Mm -hmm. look like they do not belong there in any stretch of the imagination, but they do not care because all they care about is that they're talking with each other. They are so just absolutely enamored with one another in that moment and I just don't understand why queer joy, why like lesbian joy is not something that is celebrated. Like we saw a similar thing with Lesbom, the movie we covered for for last Thanksgiving. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put it all on the table here. Looking at our numbers for our listeners, that movie did not do well. Like it didn't perform well. A lot of people didn't listen to it. And we do have a lot of queer listeners. And I'm just like, y'all will tune in to any of like the straight movies that have camp elements that queer people have reclaimed, but y'all won't listen to our episodes about actual fucking queer movies where people are happy. And maybe this is getting me on a pride soapbox. We talked a little bit about this on our bonus episode on the Patreon that we did make available free to anyone who wants to listen to it. Why? Like, I, I don't know. And I know that this is a rhetorical question and you probably don't have an answer for me for this i mean i could take a stab or two in the dark yeah go for it like why do you think it is that like queer people are so quick to support either movies that are just queer and so fucking depressing or are not queer they're just campy and queers have reclaimed it and then movies like deb's and lesbom get kind of the short end of the stick like what is that well i'd say that in our specific like professional things you a bit more than me um Something like Debs would not have looked good on a top 10 best films of the year list if someone was making it the way that Portrait of a Lady of, on Fire would. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit more prestige to that. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's more artistic value to queer suffering uh, in people's minds than queer joy. Uh, a, a trans film that I actually love quite deeply is called I Want What I Want. And uh, it was tragically pulled off of YouTube finally after living there in peace and harmony for a long time. Yeah, it was there for years. Thank you, Carta. Oh my God, Carta's the best. But it's a film that I pitch to people. It's borderline lost media from the early 70s. And it's a trans story that is almost mundane Mm -hmm. in how very little bad things happen. It's just a transition story. She goes and lives her life. There's some love. There's a little hardship, but it's just pleasant. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to pitch someone on a movie where nothing really happens. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's like slice of life in that sense. Mm -hmm. 
you need the drama in order to make it feel, I guess, more substantial. Like, oh, th- this has value. There's drama. I, it's more intense. There's merit to it versus something that is just nice. Mm-hmm. Debs is just nice. And I think that that's not a strong enough feeling for people to lift it up the way they do really, really over-exaggerated camp things or miserable dramas. <laughs> So something that this writer also talks about in terms of what type of love this is, is that Amy is so clearly in love, the kind of love that she craved at the beginning of the film, the kind of love that is messy and takes over your every thought. Lucy tries to prove her love to Amy by returning all her stolen goods to show that she doesn't want to be a villain if it means she can't be with Amy. And as chaos erupts in the final scene of the film, where Amy declares her love for Lucy in front of the entire Debs Academy, the two women run toward one another. The music swells as they fall into each other's arms where they first met. When her friends catch up to them, there is a heartwarming moment of acceptance of her queerness and her relationship with Lucy. If you break her heart, I will hunt you down, Max tells Lucy, when she (laughs) finally accepts their relationship. And so the number one spy and the most infamous villain run off into the sunset together to fall madly in love. And I love that description so much because when we first meet Amy, she has a boyfriend. Um, He's a guy that's in like the guy version of Debs. Um, He's kind of a wiener. He's a Chad. He's a Chad, yeah. Um, Not really into him. And you can tell that Amy is not really into him because- Mm -hmm. She's not straight. She doesn't like men. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so infrequent that we see movies where that aha love is portrayed correctly. And it's so fun to me that one of the best examples of that is in kind of a cheesy spy movie like Debs. Mm-hmm. Because I've talked a little bit on the show before about, you know, my, my queer awakening in kindergarten and like falling in love with a girl you know, on the playground and blah, blah, blah. But like when I met you, like I blew up my whole world to be with you. I was in a relationship, (laughs) destroyed that relationship. I was living with that person, destroyed that living situation. Like had to call my parents and be like, surprise, still gay after all these years, changing my entire life. Uh, Don't know where I'm going to live. Don't care. Going to figure it out. Like, Coming out of retirement. <laughs> getting back in the game. <laughs> uh, the game. I see what you did there. You're welcome. And, uh, but no, I like was so, like, I was Amy in this instance. I was very down to like blow up everything that I had ever worked for, like the reputation that I had, like all of the whatevers in my life because I didn't care. I knew that I was in love. I knew that like you were it. And the feelings were so powerful that I had to give myself over to them or I was going to explode. Mm -hmm. And I love that this movie shows that because Amy fully does. She fully gives into it and is like, yeah, I have to. I can't ignore this. I know that it's against the rules. I know it's going to disappoint a bunch of people. I know it's going to fuck up my life. I don't care because I love this. And I know that that sounds hypocritical because I'm also the person who earlier was like, don't change yourself for anybody. But again, like this isn't her changing anything about herself. This is her just knowing what she wants and doing it and not caring what rules are broken in order to fulfill that. And that's so powerful. And like there are few things in this world as powerful as that first aha queer love. Like straight people will never know what that feels like. 
They will never know what that feels like. I'm not denying that straight people can fall in love. They clearly can. They do all the time. They do all the time. Most of us would not be here if it wasn't because straight people fell in love or at least felt the obligation to pretend that they were. But queer people spend most of their life, unless you are one of those fringe people who've had parents from Jump Street that are like, you can do whatever you want. But queer people live in a world from birth that tells them there is something weird about them, that the way that they feel is unnatural or like not correct or whatever. And it doesn't matter how many affirming people you have in your direct circle, the world is not affirming. So when you have that love, when you have that moment that just confirms for you everything that you've always known that the entire world has told you is incorrect, it is better than any drug. It is so powerful. It is so life-affirming. It is a moment of euphoria that I think so many of us spend like chasing our entire lives. I think it's why so many of us end up doing things like U-hauling because you get that sensation and it is just life-affirming and you don't know what to do about it. And that's kind of what we're seeing here with with Amy and Lucy. Like they're totally fucking U-hauling. Like Mm -hmm. that's what's happening here. But it's like, I get it. Like, I get what that feels like. I know why this is the joy that she's experiencing and that euphoria that she's been craving. And it's beautiful and it's powerful and I just love it and it makes me happy. Yeah, though, one thing worth noting is that it's not instantaneous necessarily in this. It's not love at, like, I mean, it's like lust at first sight. There, there's a creepy uppy kind of feeling of love. It, it, it grows. But again, Amy's really good at lying to herself. She's super good at it. So post kidnapping, there's the circumstance where Max tells Holland Taylor, like, hey, uh, you don't want to like shit can her. She's your best student. And if it gets out, that she's been cavorting with the enemy, that'll be a really ugly blemish on your career. So how about we just like have a speech where she denounces that and we come up with a story for how she escaped and we lie Mm -hmm. and we metaphorically throw Amy back in the closet. Mm -hmm. So there's like a banquet where she's on stage and reading this pre-prepared script full of lies. Mm-hmm. And then her greatest power of lying to herself, eventually she stops. Mm-hmm. Like she, there's this like, I know what you did last summer balcony. <laughs> she sees There Lucy. really is, yes. <laughs> and she sees her and goes, oh, fuck it. I can't do this anymore. And then there's like a shootout the whole time and they escape and they run off together. And that's how we get there. But like there's a whole detour where she considers not nuking her life for this. That's that's a very good point. We all come to it at different rates. Mm-hmm. You, you got you got to weigh your pros and your cons and what you're willing to to lose. I mean, I was immediate. <laughs> it's not it's not always clean, you know. Sometimes you do lose stuff when you come out. You yeah. lose people in your life because they're not kosher with it. Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right. I knew immediately. We yeah. went on one date. I came home and went, uh oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> but in this case, it worked out very well for all of them because everyone learned to be okay with this. Yeah. Absolutely. And the thing that I think is most important is that the thing they're learning to be okay with is not that Amy is queer. It's that Amy fell in love with somebody who has a criminal past. Mm -hmm. Like that is what they're learning to be okay with. And that is so fucking refreshing. It's a a little more of a criminal present. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) But she's she's giving it up. Allegedly, but it's up until like now. If there is corruption in this city, Lucy Diamond is behind it. If there is indecency... To be found, 
She is the root. If there is evil in this world, its name is Lucy Diamond. Um, it's not until moments like this, when you are forced to take stock of yourself, that you see what you are made of. It's not until moments like this when you have to remember what's right and true. Because it's moments like this when you discover what it truly means to be a Deb. Which is why I can't accept this award from you tonight. Because the truth is, the time I spent with Lucy Diamond were the happiest days of my life. And the only brave thing I've done this whole time is what I'm doing now. So if you'll excuse me, I have a date with the devil. So I guess uh, the realization that I'm having in, ha in discussing this movie is that if I'm Amy, that makes you Lucy. How do you feel about that? I mean, Lucy's pretty cool. <laughs> I am the one with the strong jaw. You know, that's a great point. <laughs> you are you are the one with the strong jaw. You have better eyebrows. Mm, I, I have eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. They're better by default. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's very, very true. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think uh, I think it works. Do we, do we add this to the list of a uh, potential Halloween costumes? Is it is it is it on the list for that? I don't know if I go that far. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair, okay. Alrighty. Well, I think that kind of takes us up on Debs. I think we've talked about it a bit more than most. Um, looking for research on this was actually quite difficult. I was very shocked in how little uh, academic writing there was on this, uh, but there was definitely a lot of, I missed this movie when I was a teen, and I watched it now, and I think it's great. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's been cool. A uh, couple of pieces on Autostraddle were basically that, and both of them were like, it's one of my favorite movies now. So love that. I love that Debs is continuing to be, to be found and given retrospectives. That just makes me happy. But Harmony, the question is yours. Debs is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying them a ticket so they can go on their own? This is one of those movies that, again, it's it's really kind of hard to pitch someone on a movie that's vibe is just that it's nice. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing wrong with Debs. I wish it was had a better budget so it could have a little more action maybe. Mm -hmm. I wish it was just maybe a little bit funnier. Mm -hmm. I wish it landed a little bit more for me personally. I would enjoy the movie. I would enjoy watching the movie itself more that way. Mm -hmm. But it's still a yes. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So like spies falling in love with other people, like tale as old as time. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's every James Bond. It's Leon S. Ken Kennedy and Ada Wong. It's Lupin and Fujiko. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's super thieves and super spies. And I don't know that that's just, that's just good TV. Yeah. No, I agree completely. In this case, it just happens to be gay. <laughs> Amazing. Well, that takes us out on Debs. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Sunset Prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor. Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And I am very, very curious because obviously, shout out Sonderbombs. Thank you for letting us use title for our theme song. Love you so very much. Well, Harmony, what 
indie band are you going to promote this week that has the essence of dibs? So I needed something kind of queer. And I needed something kind of in the synth pop vibe because that's what a lot of this soundtrack is built around, even though that punk club probably shouldn't be playing music like that, but it is, so whatever. Yeah. Uh, the band I am shouting out this week is called Babe Club. What a great name. Babe Club fits right in with Debs. Right. So Babe Club does a lot of mid-tempo, vibey synth music full of a lot of love and yearning and gay uh, the Gaia song is called Need a Girl, and it's all about, like, we don't have to fake it when we're with each other because they shit on some dude who was making her fake it uh-huh. earlier in the song. And it's like, we'll just feel it down through our legs. And it's just it's real horny, but also sweet. Oh, I love that. It's it's, it's a lot of songs like that. Uh, I also recommend Lazy Lover or That Feeling. They're all just they're all just good vibes. Love it. it they're just they're nice songs like they're nice <laughs> songs. Like this movie is a nice movie. Amazing. All right, friends. You you heard it. Babe Club. Give them a listen and we will see you next time. And as always, save that last dance for us. Um, bye. Bye. I can hold the whole world hostage. I'm scared of going on one stupid blind date. Because love is harder than crime. Okay, now knock them dead. But not really. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.